you, you are now listening to the project. To the project. To the project. Where we stop at nothing to bring you the right facts on health, fitness, and psychology. Featuring some of the world's most experienced professional professionals. So you can learn, lift, and live with your hosts, Meg, Dr. D, and Mehdi. That's a perfect point because our brain is what stops us most of the time because our brain will be like, oh, we're going to get hurt. If we're running this fast, our hamstrings won't be able to stop in time. And that's when, you know, people forget most hamstring injuries happen when they're stopping, not when they're actually running. A lot of the time it's our brain that prevents that. You know, there are times where you can lift a thousand pounds and there's a time when you can't do it because your brain's saying, if I lift this thousand pounds, I can't relax the muscles or I can't get the joints to work right. I created a technology. It takes about a minute and a half to two minutes prior to working out to neurologically prepare the muscle. And what it does is it sends a signal at 245 times faster than your brain can send to the muscle to allow it to lengthen. When that muscle lengthens, it can now absorb 10 times more force. All this and more in today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Project and I am absolutely pumped because we are going to get some advice on how to fix ourselves and fix ourselves neurologically, which is awesome because a lot of us, we age, our bodies break down, we deal with injuries, athletes, you're always dealing with some type of a nagging injury. And joining us today is Dennis Thompson, an exercise physiologist, developer of new technology, new ways of treating injury, injury prevention, and how to actually treat the pain long-term, right, Dennis? Absolutely. I mean, the, the idea is to get rid of why you have the problem, not where you have the problem. So every one of your listeners who are suffering from any type of injury, they've only treated where the injury is, not why they have the injury. That is a monumental problem because they're going to continually be injured unless you address why you're injured. No, and I think, you know, as, as a, a master's CrossFit athlete, my coach gives me a lot of shoulder work and a lot of rear delt work and, you know, back stuff and, you know, a lot of stuff and things that I know that fires my muscles up before I work out too. Correct. But again, there are certain things that I've noticed over the last few weeks, like the bottom of my left sandal is worn down as opposed to my right sandal. So when I saw that, I was like, all right, there's something here. You know, there's, there's something going on with the way I'm walking. And I haven't put my finger on it yet. But I think with your insight, a lot of athletes can start looking at similar things to find the why, like you're saying. Now, what are some of the most, we'll start with some of the most common injuries that you see from athletes or regular everyday gym goers? Well, I think the most insidious injury there is, is an ankle sprain. And people say, well, why in the world would you ever say that? Well, it's real simple. When you have an ankle sprain, what happens is we get rid of the swelling, we get rid of the pain, and what happens? We go right back to doing what we were doing before. So let's look at that problem. And that is that there's a tiny ligament that holds the two bones together called the tibia fibula. When that ligament gets stretched, there now is a neurological break in communication. Now, let me explain why that's important. I did a survey and a study, uh, what's called an outcome study for the NFL about 18 years ago. And I thought they'd care, but they didn't. 
and I'll explain why that was in a minute. We took 60 players and we followed them in their career after an ankle injury. Within six months, 60 for 60 had either a knee problem, a hip problem, a back problem, or a shoulder problem. And the league said, that's football. (laughs) No, that is an inability to absorb force. So if I were to give you, Maddie, or anybody in the listening audience a simple neurological test, 95% are going to fail that test. And why am I testing? I'm testing to determine how quickly your brain communicates to your muscle to allow the muscle to act as a shock absorber. So if you've ever had a tendon, ligament, or joint problem, which every single athlete who's ever done any kind of athletics has suffered, you have a neurological problem. Your brain is not sending a fast enough signal to what we call the antagonist muscle to allow it to absorb force. So you're a car without shock absorbers. So it's in a different sense. It's more or less reactive sense of our body, like action reaction and how quick our muscles will fire. I mean, for instance, the other day, my dog, I was doing a snatch and I had about 200 pounds or 185 pounds overhead. My dog walks right between my legs as I'm putting the the bar back on the ground. I'm dropping it, but I see him walking. I kind of run back, catch it, and then drop it behind me to save the you know save the dog's life. Correct. And um, to to all the listeners, no dogs were harmed. I saved his life. You know, he came out of nowhere. But I told one of my friends about it. I was like, you know, he's lucky. I had a very quick reaction. Yeah. You know, as opposed to you know just kind of dropping the bar and then being like, oops. You know, so it's one of those things. And now you're saying our muscles act as shock absorbers. Yeah. So when there is force driven into our body, our body's supposed to sort of have this automatic switch to brace itself? 100%. And here's the amazing thing. You lose that by the age of four years old. So let me explain. So right now, if I were to drop you down the stairs, I assure you, you're going to have tendon, ligament, or joint, or bone problem. Why? Because that movement of falling down the stairs with your body mass is going to create force going to areas that it just can't respond that quickly to. So another simple analogy is, why do we have so many ACL injuries? Why do we have so many hamstring injuries? It's a relatively simple answer, but a very complex overview. And what I mean by that is, if you're running down the field or a basketball court, and you get hit on the side of the knee, on the front of the knee, on the back of the knee, I assure you, you're going to have a knee problem. Why? Because your brain automatically sends a signal to all of your muscles simultaneously to concentrically contract. So in other words, they just lock up like that to protect you. When that happens, you have absolutely zero ability to absorb force. So the force is going to go to a tendon, ligament, bone, or joint, one or the other. When you were two years old, if that happened, you would not get hurt. And the reason you would not get hurt is the quad would shorten and all of the other muscles would lengthen. That is what I teach some of the probably 3,000 of the most elite athletes in the world to be able to do. That is a neural pattern, how quickly you turn on. About, oh, maybe four years ago on Monday Night Football, Brandon Marshall was running down the field 
got hit from the side on his right side. His knee went the opposite direction that his leg was. All the talking heads on that show said, that's it. He's done. That's a career-ending injury. Here's the rest of the story. Two minutes later, he scored a touchdown. Was not hurt. His orthopedic surgeon called me after that and said, that's living proof to what you've been saying. All I did is train his muscle to react as a baby. (laughs) It's just that simple. If you can absorb force, you're not going to get hurt. If you can't absorb force, you're going to be hurt. That's simple. And honestly, that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I had a coach back when I was in right towards the end of high school, and he used to have us do ladder drills. And he's like, "We want to neuro- get your neurons firing up. We want to teach your body how to stop, start, go side to side." And you know, I was a baseball player then, and I was just like, "Oh, why does this guy have us running ladder drills? You know, before a game, this just makes no sense to me." But in reality, the older I've gotten, the more I've understood. Like when I do, you know, face pulls as a warm up. It's to activate, you know, my stopper muscles. It's to activate my rear delts to get my back engaged. So that makes a lot of sense. What about some of the people that say sometimes if you're unconscious, you're not going to get injured? And this is this is a story I I caught on the news years ago about a guy who was in a hurricane. He was asleep, and they said him being asleep and getting knocked out or whatever saved his life because his body was just basically flimsy. And, you know, nothing harmed him. Correct. How would you explain something like that? Very simple. It's the same principle that we just originally talked about. Your brain, your cognitive brain, your aware state creates that alarm signal for the muscles to react. When you are in a subconscious state, keyword is subconscious, your brain doesn't send that signal. So it's like you're back to that baby again. Babies don't send a conscious signal to protect until they get to be the age around three or four years old. We as human beings, if I had you stand up, close your eyes, stand on a two-foot box, and fall forward, I guarantee you the thing I'm going to see is your arms are going to fly out in front of you to basically protect you from that fall that you're don't know what's going to happen. You got to protect yourself, right? Yep. When in reality, if I trained you neurologically, I could put you on that same box, put a blindfold on you, tell you to fall forward, and you're going to do exactly the opposite. You're going to go into a full push-up going down, and all that force is going to be absorbed directly into your pec and your lower back and not in your joints. It's a completely different way of looking at things neurologically instead of physiologically. You as an athlete have spent your entire life training your hardware, your muscles. Yeah. You've never trained your software. And the software controls the hardware. That makes sense. I mean, it's I was a baseball player, so a lot of that is software. A lot of that is software. Hitting a ball, even at, at a college level, coming at you at 80 miles an hour, you know, it's a split second decision. That's a neural pattern. You got very, very good at a neural pattern. So how can we do that as gym goers and as, you know, novice athletes? And, you know, we have a lot of CrossFitters that listen to the show. We have a lot of power lifters that listen to the show. So 
how can an athlete kind of train themselves in that way so that they can prevent injury from happening? For instance, my wife, she is a power lifter, probably one of the strongest Kuwaiti women right now. You know, she holds records. She deadlifts around 370 pounds. She did a back squat walkout. She literally just put 315 on her back, walked out three steps, heard a, and then all of a sudden her bone just shattered in her wrist. She is a low bar squatter. And, you know, she has metal plates in her arm right now. And she says it herself. She's like, yeah, I had to retrain my brain to deadlift again. But how do we prevent injuries like that from happening? How can we solve that problem? And, you know, some of these instances as an athlete, you could be going to do a back squat that you've done a thousand times and something just goes wrong. So what are some of the things that we can do to help ourselves? Well, we created a technology to facilitate that. And that technology overrides your cognitive brain. The biggest problem that you have in any type of athletic activity, especially CrossFit, uh, as a CrossFit athlete, is recovery. You never recover. 100%, yeah. Okay. So if I were to turn off the main power in your home, you are not going to be that successful at turning lights on. So the first thing that I do with every athlete is we test the athlete or the patient to determine is the nervous system sending a fast enough signal to the antagonist muscle to allow that muscle to absorb a load? If it isn't, then I created a method by which we can reestablish a new neural pattern, reset the computer, and now we've got communication going on. Without communication, you're going to be hurt. At some point in time, you're going to be hurt. And a simple thing like moving incorrectly can disrupt a neurocommunication. That's simple. So I created a technology to where it takes about a minute and a half to two minutes prior to working out to neurologically prepare the muscle. And what it does is it sends a signal at 245 times faster than your brain can send to the muscle to allow it to lengthen. When that muscle lengthens, it can now absorb 10 times more force. Now, why is that important? Because you can absorb 10 times more force now. 100%, yeah. So if I were to do that with you as an example, the first thing I would do is test you, probably reset you, and then I would put this on and I put an electrode on the bottom of your feet. You remember how you said you looked at your sandals and you saw that they were wearing on the outside? Yep. Well, that tells you right away that if you took a car into a into a, a tire shop and they said, hey, <laughs> your tires are all really wearing hard on the outside, what would they do? They would set your tire. They'd rebalance your tires. Yeah. We don't do that. Yep. Why? I don't know, but we don't. So the first thing I have to do is get the muscles to respond correctly to the proper signal. Now, if your nervous system is sending a fast enough signal to your muscles, you would never sublux. You would never have any type of tendon, ligament, or bone or issues unless the force coming in was greater than the physiological ability to absorb that force, such as getting hit by a bus. Yeah. You can't absorb that force. But athletics, I've said, you know, most of my guys will tell you and gals will tell you, we've able to reduce probably 70 to 80% of all tendon, ligament, and bone and joint issues. 
you've worked with a lot of high-level athletes also. You've worked with Olympians. You've worked with pro baseball players, pro basketball players. Absolutely. We were talking about uh, earlier, I said I saw uh, Dwayne Wade's name on your list of some athletes who played for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to highlight that you have worked with world-class athletes. Oh, we have literally 3,000 of the most elite athletes in the world. We did a, uh, you're talking about CrossFit, you'll really get a kick out of this story. We were uh, approached by a group, and I, I won't basically tell you what the group was. You'll know them right away when I say this. And they were going to go into a CrossFit competition. And I said to them, and I'll say this to you as a CrossFitter, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go compete. And then I want you to come back. And two minutes later, I want you to go and do the exact same competition. <laughs> Guess what the answer to that challenge was? Oh, no, 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 no. We couldn't do that. We leave everything on the table. We're, we're completely exhausted and completely. And I said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take half of you and we're going to loosen you neurologically. And the other half, we're not going to do that. And you guys are going to go out and guys and gals are going to go out and compete. And then as soon as we're done, we're going to give you a two-minute break, and you're going to go out and do the exact same competition. And everybody said, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We're exhausted. Here's the end of the story. The people that I took, and we did a loosening program, right? On the second go-round, their score was better than their first score, and none of the other group could complete the second competition. Why? Because when you fatigue, a muscle shortens. Yeah. When it shortens, it loses its ability to absorb force. What I did is neurologically prevented that from happening by keeping the muscle in a lengthened state. And it is instantaneous. I can change your range of motion and your speed and your force curve immediately by simply sending the right signal to the right muscle to do the right job at the right time. So could we already have something like that built in innately? Uh, and I'll be honest with you. Usually no. in CrossFit, my fourth set or my third or fourth set is way better than my first or second set. And I just believe that it's the first set, my neurons are firing, you know, the muscles are trying to learn what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden I just hit a groove and it's usually right at the end and I can, you know, pump really hard to, you know, bust out that last set. And I truly believe that it's just like, and I noticed this a couple of weeks ago. I was like, wow, you know, it's weird. I think I greased the wheels in my warm up, but I think I'm just greasing the wheels in the first two rounds and then hitting it hard in the last. So now I'm learning to conserve energy in the first two rounds and then deplete it in the last two rounds, just because like you said, I think it has something to do with me neurologically just getting my body ready. Maybe it's because I'm older now, I'm 37, so, or it's just my joints that are just kind of like, all right, let's let's get moving here on the right path, you know? Well, again, the more, the more activity you do, the more blood flow you get, the more blood flow you get, the more neural communication you get, the more neural communication, but there's going to be a point in time when you're completely exhausted. Yeah, yeah, I know, 100%, yeah. Tank is empty. Yeah. At that point in time, if I spend two minutes with you, Two minutes with this technology, you are no longer completely exhausted. So what is this technology? What is the technology and what are the methods that are used? Well, we have, uh, and I created protocols. I mean, we're talking primarily performance enhancement, things of that nature, right? I just looked at it as an exercise physiologist and said, okay, what are the things that we know? We know that when we fatigue, the muscle short. 
We know when we fatigue, you know, you're going to have a high degree of cramping and you're also going to have a high degree of injury. So since, since I'm a why guy, I wanted to ask and answer the question, why? Why? Why do we have that happen? Well, we have that happen because that is how we've trained our body physically, not neurologically. So if we train the body to prepare, if we prepare the body neurologically, we recover neurologically, I could train you four or five times a day, seven days a week, and you would never be overtrained. Why? Because I've eliminated that overtraining mechanism by overriding your brain, sending the signal that you're overpop, overtrained. It's that simple. It's all about the communication from the brain to the body, body back to the brain. So how does the technology work? I mean, how... Typically, uh, the uh, technology that we're talking about, which if you were not in Kuwait, I would send you one, but it would take forever <laughs> to get to Kuwait. It's a little device about the size of uh, a larger cell phone. And what you do is it has electrodes that strategically located in a protocol will prepare you to perform. So we start with the feet and we prepare the feet, then the calves, then the hamstrings, then the quads, then the IT band, TFL, uh, gracilis, sartorius, hip flexors, low back, upper back, mid back, shoulders, and neck. Each one of those areas takes roughly about 10 seconds to prepare. I don't let any athlete of ours stretch. They do zero stretching of any kind. And all we're doing is preparing the muscles neurologically to perform at the highest level possible. And then after a competition or after a workout session or after running or after training, you do the very same thing to recover neurologically, not physiologically. So when you recover, you feel light. You have this lightness of being. You don't have tight muscles. You don't have any kind of soreness or DOMS, delayed onset of muscle soreness. And that's on the performance side. I'll pay the shipping costs. I don't mind. <laughs> I'll send you one uh, just so you can see it. And then maybe what would really be interesting is I'll send you and your staff some technology. We'll go through a Zoom call like this, and I'll basically show you exactly how to utilize the technology for any of your listeners in the United States or any place, you know, US or Canada, where we ship day in and day out. I'll send them one to use for 30 days at zero cost, no cost to shipping. And once they see what this does for them, whether they're a bodybuilder who can now perform posing routines without double cramps. If they're a CrossFitter who has a tendency of having tendon or ligament or joint problems, they're literally going to be amazed. And that's why I'm here is to get that message out that there is a technology and more importantly, there is a protocol to allow you to drastically enhance your performances without drugs. This is different from the uh, the Halo. We talked about this before the show. This is completely different technology than the Halo. I mean, the Halo, you know, primes your, your brain neurologically. And I was telling you, I didn't know for me, I don't know if it was a placebo effect or if it actually worked. And you said, you know, and I agree with you. If it worked, it worked. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't care. Right. You know, sprinkle some fairy dust on it. And, you know, if, if it gets me doing what I need to do, I'm going to do it. Correct. So... 
this device, you would put it on the muscles directly to prime them? Yeah, you prepare the muscle by uh, putting an electrode on the agonist and the antagonist, and then you turn up the power, barely feel it, and you do five movements. So if I'm trying to, let's say we're at the NFL Combine every year, so usually the top 32 athletes at some point in time are going to be touched by my group. And let's say you're a 4-5-40 guy, and I loosen up your hamstrings and your calves uh, your four five is now a four four. Wow. Did I make you faster? No. I allowed you to demonstrate your skill that your brain isn't allowing you to demonstrate. I didn't improve your speed. I didn't improve your vertical jump. I just demonstrated and allowed you to be able to demonstrate you can do it. Because without that little hint, you can't do it. That's a perfect point because our brain is what stops us most of the time because our brain will be like, oh, we're going to get hurt. If we if we're running this fast, our hamstrings won't be able to stop in time. And that's when you know people forget most hamstring injuries happen when they're stopping, not when they're actually running. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a lot of the time it's our brain that prevents that. You know, there are times where you can lift a thousand pounds and there's a time when you can't do it because your brain's saying, if I lift this thousand pounds, I can't relax the muscles or I can't get the joints to work right. So this has been a hack that I've used for years, which was priming the muscles before a workout. And, you know, like I was talking about with face pulls, you know, I'll do, you know, calf raises and whatnot. So this hacks it basically. This hacks all the priming that I do for about 45 minutes into 10 minutes. Uh, about three and a half to four minutes tops. Oh, wow. 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 Let me ask you a question. And, and, uh, you know, as we're getting to know each other, I'm going to ask a really loaded question. Oh, go ahead. Listeners are going to go, what? Why did he ask that question? Okay. So I'm going to ask the question anyway, because I think it'll be fun. Can you stretch muscle? Yes. How? Actually, um, no, you can't. Now come to think about it, you really can't stretch muscle. Impossible. Yeah. Physiologic, I'm a physiologist. It's physically impossible to stretch a muscle. So now ask yourself the question when you're stretching, what are you stretching? Tendons and ligaments. Yep. What's the number one injury in all of athletics? Tendons and ligaments. Do you think there might be a correlation? 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. So what I do is I prepare the body neurologically to perform by allowing, see right now, you are not able to allow your muscles to go to full eccentric contraction. Your brain's not going to let it happen. What I do is I allow you to go to full eccentric contraction, therefore increasing your ability to absorb force. Now, the most important thing to you and your listeners, if you can absorb more force, you can create more force, which means you can lift more, you can run faster, you can jump higher without a problem of injury in a tendon, ligament, bone, or joint. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, About a month and a half ago, two months ago, I did something to my scap. And, you know, for a while, it was hard to breathe, even like I couldn't take full breaths, like my rib cage expanded, it just hurt like hell. And one thing I noticed is my ability to absorb overhead force with a barbell decreased dramatically, just because my left side 
could not absorb a barbell coming down. I could still snatch off the ground, but as soon as I got into the catch position, my left side just gave out every single time. And even when I was doing um, drop sets the other day, I was just like, wow, this is this is different. What's going on with my body here? And that makes complete sense. Now, without the technology, what are some of the things that we can do to teach our body or help our body a little bit, especially for the listeners around the world that wouldn't have access to your technology? Well, I think the most important thing is just to understand how the body functions in that rhythmic dance between the agonist and the antagonist. So the quad and the hamstring have to talk nicely to each other, right? So when you do a curl, you pull the weight up, right? Yep. What lets the weight down? Gravity in most cases, right? Yeah, I would say that. When you do a squat, what pulls the weight down? Gravity. Gravity, yeah. Gravity takes the weight down, yeah. What pushes the weight up? Your muscles. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you a question. So we're, we're shortening them and then we're lengthening them. Correct. But what muscle in a curl aren't you working? And what muscle in a squat aren't you working? I'd say in a curl, your tricep. Correct. And in your, well, most people wouldn't work their triceps. But when I had a brachialis injury uh, years ago, I went to a physical therapist. Um, oh man, his, I can't forget his name, but he's pretty, Wad Doc. He's pretty famous on Instagram now. And he had me do bicep curls three times a day, every day for three days. And his thing was, do not lose tension. Right. All the way up with tension, all the way down with tension. And I have taken that model and applied it to my shoulders and applied it to every other body part. When my left shoulder's acting up, I'll do very strict presses and I go really controlled up and down with everything just tense to make sure like things fire up. So I'm picking up what you're putting down on this one and it makes total sense. Well, that's how the body works, but that's not how we work the body. Yeah. Yep. That statement is a very, very self-prophesizing statement. We don't train that way, no matter who we are, right? Okay, so let me ask you this, because I'm really curious. The next time you're with your training mates or someone, your wife or whomever, what I want you to do is put both arms straight out in front of you like you're doing a front delt raise. And then I want them to push down on your forearm. And the next time we talk, I want you to tell me, as strong as you are, are you able to stabilize that with your palm down and palm up? And the reason I'm asking that question is because one of the most misunderstood, most mistreated, most misdiagnosed injuries there is, is a shoulder injury. And almost all shoulder injuries occur because the long head of the biceps tendon shifts either medially within the groove or laterally within the groove which instantaneously shuts down anterior, medial, and posterior deltoid. When that happens, you have no ability to absorb force in your shoulders or pec major and minor. Yep, that makes sense. Henceforth, you're going to have scapula problems because the scapula is on the posterior chain. Yeah, that makes total sense. I'm not going to lie to you, like for about two months now, I've been dealing with between my pec, my scap, my left shoulder, waking up in pain the past few weeks and, you know, the open around the corner. And, you know, I'm, I'm from that generation that's still, you know, we, we got that work ethic in us, you know, which is slowly 
tweedling out a little bit, but I know as soon as the Open's over, I'm probably going to take like a month and do some serious rehab on my left side. But in general, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're pinching a tendon, if you're pinching something, everything else around is going to shut down. And then when you overcompensate, you're going to get injuries in other places. 100%. Now, what could we do as athletes to better our recovery? You've done a lot of work with athletes, too, in the sense of recovery. Now, what's your thought process on hot and cold contrast? saunas, ice baths. Okay. There's so much out there right now. And what I love about you and your technology is, and something that a lot of athletes here in the Middle East and I think around the world are neglecting right now is the new performance enhancing drugs is technology and how you use that technology. Those are performance enhancing drugs that are going to make you perform better. Where do you stand on the recovery phase and then the technology phase? Well, on the recovery phase, first off, let's Talk about what happens when you fatigue, the muscle shortens. So now I'm going to ask a very simple question. What happens when you jump in a vat of ice? Does it lengthen or does it shorten? I'd say shorten. Tense is up. At least I get tense. Ah, correct. Yeah. Every athlete that's probably listening to this has taken and put ice on a muscle, which makes zero sense because what we're trying to do is lengthen the muscle and get blood into the area. Ice stops both. So ice doesn't make a great deal of sense. So let's go to heat. All right. So we go to heat. What allows that muscle to lengthen? Is it the heat or is it the neural signal to allow that muscle to lengthen? Well, the heat doesn't shorten it, but it doesn't lengthen it either because that lengthening process is a neural process. So if I have an athlete in heat, then I'm going to have them put their muscle in what I call an extended eccentric position. So if I want to lengthen the hamstrings, I'm going to have them fold their body over, push their butt back as far as they can. And now we're lengthening all of those muscles. You can't do it in ice, but you could do it in heat. You could do it in water, right? But you've got to go to a position where the brain is going to respond to that position to do the appropriate activity of lengthening that muscle. No, it makes sense. Without that movement, no way. You're not going to recover. That makes sense. And, you know, I have a small sauna at home. You know, one of my my lifelong dreams was to have a sauna. And I've always believed in a sauna, especially for recovery for me. Like, I know after a hard workout, I sit in the sauna for a while. I feel great the next day, and it's probably because it lengthens my muscles. I've also been incorporating a cold contrast. So I'll go in the sauna for about 20 minutes. After the sauna, I'll plunge into a cold bath. Now, would you say that's wrong? Am I approaching that in the wrong way? Or I'm going to say it's wrong. I'm just going to ask the question, why? I mean, it feels good. Exactly. It feels good. It releases endorphins. I feel, honestly, after I dunk my head in an ice cold bath, it's like, you know, under 50 degrees. I don't know why, but the torture makes me feel amazing for the rest of the day. And I work out early in the afternoon. So, but one thing I've noticed, it's winter in Kuwait. So, you know, I have a swimming pool. There's no heater in the pool. And the other day, just for the hell of it, I was like, all right, let me jump in the pool before my workout, see what happens. I jumped in and it was, you know, me and my son, we joke around. He's six. And I'm like, 
I look at DJ, I'm like, dude, that was a cup of coffee right there. You know, it, it took me a little while longer to warm up. I'm not going to lie to, you know, just get my, my body firing up and get a sweat on. But I felt great during my, my workout. I felt amazing. Like the pain didn't bother me. You know, no, nothing really bothered me. So would you say it's better to do a cold plunge early in the morning or before a workout rather than doing a hot cold contrast? Even though the Scandinavians have been doing it for thousands of years, I mean, what's your take on that exactly? Well, again, being a why person, I would say, okay, why do we do that? We do that because we feel better. Then why do we feel better? We feel better because what did we do? We created a massive amount of neurological disturbance, and the body has to respond to that neurological disturbance. So it's going to respond appropriately because that's how it's designed to respond. So all of these techniques are very, very effective, but like you said, they're thousands of years old, right? Okay. How many people listening to this show right now drive a thousand year old car? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's a good point. No, that's a good point. But I mean, it's worked. It's worked in the past. There is a more effective way of accomplishing that task in a shorter period of time to get the net result of what we're looking for. All of the things you've said work. It's just that if we could have something that worked 245 times faster than all that and gave us a better result and prevented us from getting injured, I would think that the overwhelming majority of people would choose the latter rather than the previous. Oh, 100%. No, 100%. I mean, that's... If they know it. Yeah. If they do it, yeah. they can experience it for sure. Honestly, that's why I try all the crap that I do. It's, you know, to see what hacks I can do to recover better. And whether it's by way of food, movement, sauna, cold, Epsom salts, uh, you name it. I think I've tried it when it comes to recovery. And, you know, it's hit or miss. You know, some days the sauna works great for me. But other days, if I overdo it with the sauna, I'm fatigued as hell because my central nervous system just can't. It's just like, dude, you're putting me in 60 degree or 70 degree heat, you know, like 100 degrees Fahrenheit and in an enclosed environment every day. Yeah, I'm going to fatigue. So what about HRV? What's your take on HRV? Do you uh, have athletes ever monitor their HRV and see how responsive they are? 100%. 100%. Heart rate variability is the key to absolutely everything. Heart rate variability is one of the major matrices that we use in our therapy. It's also one of the major matrices we use uh, for performance training. Okay. Why is it important? It's important. I'm sure you've heard in, in uh, you've heard of the omega wave technology, right? Okay. Well, what does omega wave do? It teaches, you know, the Russians figured out in the forties that omega wave will demonstrate, are you ready to compete? And if you're not ready to compete, then you shouldn't be competing, especially if you're competing for a high, you know, a high level and a high degree of competition. But it doesn't prepare you to compete. It just tells you, are you ready to compete? And what people don't realize is why the Russians were so difficult to beat in competition in the 50s, 60s and 70s was one of my main mentors, a guy by the name of Yakov Kotz, who was in charge of the Federation of Athletes. And what he would do is they would test every athlete before every competition. They do a blood test and a hair analysis. Now, why did they do that? Let's say, Maddie, you're the best baseball player on the team. And I'm the third best baseball player on the team. 
you test low and I test high, I'm going to play, you're not. And the reason you're not is you tested low, which means your skills are diminished because you tested low. I tested high, which means my skills are elevated above yours because yours are been depressed. And so you could never understand who the heck you're competing against because it could be somebody different every single time. Heart rate variability is a classic way of doing two things. Number one, improving your physiological ability. More importantly, it's a preparation tool. You know exactly are you prepared or aren't you prepared. And the most important thing on the health side is if you're high anxious, you're in what's called a sympathetic dominant state. And that's why it takes so doggone long to come back from an injury like an ACL or a shoulder or a hip or whatever, is you're stuck in sympathetic dominance. So over on the medical side where my core business is. So sorry, sympathetic dominance means that I'm under high tension or fight or fight. Yeah. Neurologically, I'm just a tense person. And you know that it's just, I can't relax. I can't get into that parasympathetic state for my body just to relax and recover. I put you into a parasympathetic state in less than a minute from any condition you have. Can you do that over the Zoom call? Because (laughs) (laughs) that summarizes me right there. I mean, I'm always, you know, I'm a pretty tense person. And, you know, in, in my lifts, I told my wife, I was telling her this the other day, I was like, before, when I was angry, I was a great ball player, you know, like I used my anger on the field. I use my anger lifting weights, everything. Now that I'm older, I can't use anger anymore. Anger screws me up rather than helps me. I need to be relaxed. I need to be, you know, loosey-goosey when I'm, you know, lifting weights now to just kind of get things flowing the right way. Is that part of it right there because I'm just in that sympathetic state that I can't... Wow, that's an interesting take. I mean, that's an epiphany moment for me right there. Oh, we'll get... uh... I'll give you a classic example. And the reason we're so, I mean, we treated a half a million people all over the world with better than a 95% success rate at speeding up the recovery and eliminating atrophy. Every single one of your audience listening to this right now who's ever had an injury has atrophy because of that injury. The reason I created this technology is I couldn't answer the question, why do we have atrophy? It can't possibly be physical. So what else is there? Neurological. So the second I looked at the neurological component and the second I looked at why you have the injury, we're able to speed up that recovery. So let me give you an example. You have an ACL injury. You go to a surgeon. The surgeon does ACL surgery. The surgeon's going to tell you, you've got one year before you're going to be able to start competing again at the level you want to compete at. You go to an NFL surgeon, they're a little bit more aggressive. They'll say six to eight months. You go to us, nine weeks after surgery, you'll be competing at a level higher than you were prior to surgery. Why? Because we took you out of sympathetic dominance and we treated why you have the ACL, not the ACL. Okay. All right. That makes total sense. Now, you know, as, as we're closing in on the hour mark here, what are these technologies? What are they called? How can people find them? People can find them by going to arpwave.com. That's A as in Apple, R as in Robert, P as in Paul, wave like an ocean wave.com. 
if they go there and they mention your show, uh, we'll basically give them a free trial of any of our products. Amazing. We'll give them a day free trial. If they have an injury, we'll give them a treatment. We'll send them a $20,000 piece of medical equipment at no cost anywhere in the United States. We'll spend an hour of our time treating them. After that treatment, they'll be able to see that we can drastically speed up their recovery. For the athletes out there who want to prevent injury, improve performance, we'll give them basic use of a small portable technology, which uses the same technology as our medical technology. They can use that for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, they can have it or send it back. Absolutely no obligation to them at all. Once you use this technology, you will never not use it. I believe it. Now, you have three different types of technology, correct? There are three different devices. We do. We have a medical device called the RX100. Uh, That device is a class two medical device. That's the device that we've used to treat well in excess of a half a million people all over the world. Most of the major medical uh, facilities in the United States utilize that as a therapeutic device. I created the therapy called neurotherapy before neurological therapy was ever even thought of being possible. We did that 20 years ago. Uh, We pioneered telerehabilitation where we would send the equipment out and do the treatment. That's how we have so many athletes because we have athletes all over the world. Then we have a device called the Flex Doctor. The Flex Doctor is a brand new device in our stable, and that device is designed to abort symptoms. So if you have pain in your shoulder and you need to compete and you don't have time for therapy and you normally would take Advil or some other type of medication, all you have to do is put this on. Two and a half to three minutes later, you're not going to have any pain in your shoulder at all for four hours. So it can be used to abort symptoms and prophylactically prevent symptoms. It doesn't treat anything, okay? And then we have a device called a PRS, which is a personal recovery system. The PRS can be used for performance enhancement. So let's say uh, let's say you're a 225 bencher and you can bench uh, 225 uh, 25 times. If I put the PRS on you for one minute before you do that bench, you're 25 to 28 to 29. Why? <laughs> I'm simply retraining the neurological pattern of the muscles in the antagonist chain to allow you not to fatigue as rapidly as you would. So you can use that for preventing injury. You can use it for improving performance. You can do bodybuilding with it. You can basically sculpt the body. That's called a PRS. Those are the three main devices that we have all built around the same platform of neurological stimulation. And with the RX100, you've also replaced prescription medication with that one, right? I mean... 100%. Yeah. How did that work, if you could explain that to me? Because that sounds fascinating. And especially in an era right now where you go to the doctor and he doesn't tell you to, hey, why don't you work on your rear delts? Here's pop a pill instead. Live with the pain, pop a pill. Don't do the preventative exercises for the pain. Now, how have you done that? What does this technology do exactly to eliminate prescription medication? Well, why do we take a prescription medication? We take a prescription medication. It doesn't treat anything. Yeah. It simply masks it, right? It puts this big ball of mask around it. So your brain, your cognitive brain doesn't know you have a problem, right? So you still have the problem, but we take it because it makes us feel better. That's what medication is. It makes you feel better. And big pharma wants you to feel better and constantly keep paying them money 
day in and day out so you feel better. But it does absolutely nothing for why you have the problem, right? So I figured out, okay, well, a big pharma can do that. All right, let me think about how I can create a new neurocognitive pattern. Well, you've heard it a thousand times. Everybody on this show has heard it a thousand times. If Maddie, if you've got a headache, say 10 on a scale of one to 10, you got a screaming headache. I say, hey, do me a favor. Put your hand on that table over there. I'm going to hit it with this hammer. You don't have a headache anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did it happen that fast? It happened that fast because your brain focuses on what's yelling the loudest. I give the brain something else to focus on rather than the pain. And I get blood supply into the area, allowing the muscle to go to eccentric contraction. And I put you into parasympathetic instead of sympathetic. That's what I do. No, it makes sense. I mean, you know, like if I hurt my knee and say I had shoulder pain for a month, I hurt my knee, all of a sudden I forget about the shoulder pain and it's all about my knee, you know, so it it makes a hundred percent sense. And I've always known personally that, and I was a, you know, a Tylenol or an Advil popper when I was in college, especially during baseball season. Sure. I mean, my elbow, you know, I was more of an elbow thrower. I didn't really use my rotator cuff much. I was a catcher. So it was a quick movement. And there were times where I'd pick up a spoon and my arm would just drop. That's how much pain I'd be in. And it was just, you know, I learned that all I'm doing is dulling the pain. That's what, you know, this old coach said to me, Franny, he was like, look, all you're doing is you're just tricking your brain. I was like, what? I was like, no, man, this is taking inflammation. He's like, no, he's like, you're just tricking your brain. He was like, you just need to work on your mechanics a little bit better, (laughs) you know? So, but what's easier, you know, popping an Advil or working on my mechanics for four, five, six, seven hours, you know, to train those neural pathways to work properly and throw the ball properly and, you know, recreate this motion. And, you know, it's a tough thing to do. And you can't really create that motion when you have pain because your pain is preventing you from trying to do it. So you put this device on and you can retrain any motion you want to retrain very, very quickly. That's awesome. I mean, that's great. Now, what resources do you have out there? I mean, do you guys do consultations online? Uh, we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, like I said, the key is we want them to be able to try the technology with no risk, no obligation at no cost. Okay. We'll let them do that. And then we'll communicate with them, show them exactly how to use it, give them 30 days to use it. They like it. They buy it. If they don't, they send it back. It's just that's how much does the PRS cost? Just out of curiosity. Uh, typically here in the United States is about a hundred dollars a month. Okay. All right. That's, that's a pretty good price to pay. Honestly. I mean, if you want to optimize your workouts and you want to optimize what you can do in the gym, I mean, that's a smart way of going about it. Absolutely. Are you guys on social media at all? I mean, how can people find you? What's the best method for people to find you guys? Probably through the website right now, we are, we're establishing a social media presence. Keep in mind, we've been a very closed secret to a very, very limited audience. We call that audience a, hate to use it, but it's a wealth audience, not a mass audience. Uh, This year, 2021, uh, we're opening up a consumer division and we're going to create an army of people to help other people. So we want people to tell other people that there's a way that they can have to help and there's no cost, no obligation to try it. And those people helping other people, we believe we can help a lot more people that way. 
I love this. I mean, I, I love the technology. I love the biohacking of it. And I love that this is the new era of performance enhancing drugs where it's literally how to hack your brain right now. You know, if you stop and think about what a performance enhancing drug does, you'll never talk to anybody who's ever taken any performance enhancing drugs that didn't have a tendon, ligament, or joint problem. You'll never talk to somebody that didn't have major, major potential medical problems because of taking them. So we look at a very short-sighted way of looking at things. If you could have all of the benefits of anabolic steroids with none of the potential side effects and none of the negative side effects, that's what we're offering. And it's 100% legal. And it's more important than that. It's good for you, not bad for you. 100%. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. This has been fun. This was a great episode. I mean, I, hell, I had I had a bunch of epiphany moments in here. So, I mean, I can't wait to try and fix some of the issues. And hopefully I can. And I would love to see if you guys brought your technology out towards the Middle East and started shipping globally. I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be interested in this. I know a bunch of high-level athletes that would definitely give this stuff a try, you know, because they're like me. They're willing to pretty much try anything underneath the moon except for steroids to, you know, get a little bit better and get an edge. And and personally, I mean, you know, I'm in a sport where steroids, you know, it's illegal to use steroids, so I don't do them. Eventually, maybe later on down the line when I'm in my 50s and I want to do something for anti-aging, I would consult a doctor and see how my testosterone is doing around that time. But otherwise, like you said, the risk versus reward, it's not there. You know, it's, I'm not a professional athlete. Keep in mind what, what elevates testosterone. What controls everything in your body is your nervous system. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So if you stimulate the nervous system, what do you think the net result in testosterone is? Gets a boost. Absolutely. Without a drug. 100%. That's why if we're stressed, our testosterone goes lower. Correct. If you're stressed out, you're going to have low levels of testosterone. Cortisol comes in and everything reduces. Use heart rate variability and you're looking at that number. You're looking at your heart rate number. I guarantee if you're stressed, it's high. If you're not stressed, it's lower. That's the thing with heart rate variability. I did that for so long and it it mind screwed me so many times because I'd wake up, you know, I'd wake up before everybody else in the household strap on. What would you recommend as a good tool for heart rate variability? The wrist wearable or a chest strap wearable? Chest. Chest, right? R to R. There's a rhythm before the rhythm. It's called R to R. And R to R is a key indicator for everything that we do anyway. So typically what I'm looking for is, and and again, everybody lives in a world called feel versus real. You're feeling something, but you need to know, is it real or not? Like if I were to ask somebody, okay, can you touch your toes? And they say, no, without bending my knee. Okay. Well, that's feel versus real. They can certainly touch your toes. They just don't know how to do it correctly. They don't know how to engage the hamstring to pull them down. They're letting gravity try to pull them down and they're they're fighting their hamstrings. So obviously, feel versus real. So you tell me that you're really, really anxious and your heart rate sitting at 60, 60 points. You're not really anxious. You feel anxious, but you're not. If that metric goes up and you feel calm as calm can be, it doesn't mean you're calm. 
It means you feel calm. Calm, yeah. Big difference between reality and feel. Feel is always not real. When you were swinging a baseball bat and you'd miss and your coach would say, okay, your swing looks the same, everything is the same, and you're missing over and over again, what goes through your head? Something's wrong with my mechanics. You know, that that's the first thing I'll go through. Something's wrong with my mechanics. Something's not firing right. My hands are too slow. And that's when I start tweaking everything. And I start screwing with the recipe that got me to, you know, hitting 300 or 350. And then I'm just screwed for two weeks. And then it's just smooth like butter again. And I'm calm at the plate. And Correct. sure enough, the best games I've had in my life, I was calm at the plate, calm in the game. And it just, it felt like effortless. You know, it was just effortless. That's the best way I could put it. And it's that state of flow that I think professional athletes can find so quickly that many of us average people cannot find that state of flow. You've never trained yourself to do it. That's it. And and that's it right there. You can train it. I can train you to be in the zone 24-7-365. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, we got to bring you over to Kuwait sometime. <laughs> if you want to make a trip to the Absolutely. you want to make a trip to the <laughs> desert. Um yeah, you're always more than welcome. I live in the desert. I'm in Arizona. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that you get you guys. Your summers are winter. All right. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> we get our summer last year. I think the hottest day that I recorded was around 126 degrees. So, wow. Yeah. How hot does it get there during the summer? Like peak summer wise? You know, I play golf at 120 degrees. Oh, really? It gets that high. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, it'll get up. It'll get up to 120s. July, August, and September, forget it. Every day is 100. Same for us. Dry heat or is that, uh, do you guys get any? Dry. Yeah, yeah, we get some humidity. When we get humidity in August, oh my God. When it's like 115 and humid, whew, That's brutal. It's brutal. It's absolutely, it's, it's God awful. God awful. I mean, luckily, I just we just moved into the middle of the desert away from the city. Right. So the humidity doesn't hit us as bad. We actually had a good summer. You know, because it was a little cooler out here, you know, probably five degrees cooler than the city. You know, you take out all the engines and stuff. So it wasn't bad. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Send me some information and I'll get a unit out to you. Oh, 100%. I'd love to. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully sooner or later we can get the word out about you guys to our our international listeners, especially the ones in the United States. And they'll take you up on that offer. That's a great offer that you're giving them. Perfect. Thanks. Very much. Enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Thank You and join us next time.